Good morning to everyone here this morning. It's a great privilege to be with you. It's a good to be in the house of the Lord today, and I'm really looking forward to hearing some testimonies this morning as we declare the goodness of our amazing God. Today is a Thanksgiving service, as Jared has already explained. It's a time where we, as the body of Christ, just pause for a few moments to give God thanks for His faithfulness, for His goodness, for His everlasting love, and to testify that through Him, we have overcome. This is something that we will continue to do here at Frontline because we realize that without our Savior, we are nothing. But with Him, and because of the blood, we are overcomers. And we have a story to tell. And because of that story, we want to give Him thanks. This morning, I want to share a short message with you that I've titled, Overcomer. And if you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to go with me to Revelation chapter 12. And while you're doing that, church, I want to start off by saying that many people have misconceptions about their enemy, the devil. They say things like, he's not real. He's not a being. Some see him as just a fictional character. Some people just see him as a symbol of evil, and when they're dealing with their darker parts of their character, they say, you know what, I'm just battling with my inner demons. That's all the devil really is. He's not a real entity. Well, that's lie number one. That's misconception number one. Lie number two is that if the devil is real, he is waiting in hell to torment you. Would it surprise you to know that Satan is not in hell? And that he will only go there at the end of the tribulation period? And when he gets there, and he will get there, he will not be the main tormentor, he will be the main tormentee. He will be the main target. He'll be the one that is the greatest victim. In Revelation chapter 20 verse 10, it says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and forever. Now, church, we come to understand when we read our Bibles that the devil has certain amount of freedom and access not only to earth and its inhabitants, but to heaven itself. When we read the book of Job, it says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. So Satan has and still does enjoy some kind of access, not only to earth, but to heaven. With that in mind, we're going to jump into Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, when we're going to learn, church, this morning, some character traits about our arch enemy, the devil. And the first notable character trait about Satan is that he is persistent. I think we'll agree with that, right? He is persistent. Let's read together from verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, 
who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. The Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, saw a war that would break out in heaven during the great tribulation period. So just to be clear, this is not speaking of Satan's initial fall from heaven. This refers to how he will eventually be defeated and will eventually fall at the end of this age. Which leads me to make an obvious point. Satan finds it very hard to quit, doesn't he? I mean, he's lost the battle in the past. Why on earth would he think that he could stage another coup in the future? He's fighting a losing battle. But you see, he knows that. But he wants to create as much chaos as he can and bring as many people down with him as he can. He is persistent. Why? Because he wants you and I to end up where he's going. Jesus knew that Satan was persistent. When we read the Bible, it says that Satan came personally to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. But then after a while, he left him. But let me ask you this. When Satan left him, did Satan give up? Did he quit? No. Luke chapter 4 verse 13 says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Did you get that? He is looking for an opportune time to strike. Peter said about Satan that Satan is like a lion roaming around seeking whom he may devour. He is like a lion that is stalking its prey, studying it, waiting for the right moment to pounce and attack. Satan is persistent. He studies our character. And he fashions his attacks based upon the information that he knows about each of us. Now, when we look further at verse 10, we discover something else about Satan. He is not only persistent, he is accusatory. It says in verse 10 that he is the accuser of our brethren. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. Interesting, isn't it? Satan has access both to earth and to heaven to appear before God can accuse people before the throne of God. And it says that he does so day and night. He spews out his accusations. And I think you know what I'm talking about, right? Like I said last week, if you are going to live for God you are going to have opposition. If you don't have any opposition currently, you're probably heading in the same direction as the devil. If you are living for God, if you committed your life to Christ, you are going to have some, some form of satanic opposition. And church, one of the main forms of opposition that you're going to face are the accusations of the devil. Thoughts like, who do you think you are? You're not a child of God. Right? Do you really believe in this God? How can you say you're a Christian? 
How can you pray to this God when you sin the way that you do? He's not going to hear your prayers. Church, you and I have heard all those types of accusations in our lives and more. Right? The accuser of our brethren, he doesn't stop. He carries on day and night. And when you think about it, church, in the news or on social media platforms these days, most of what you hear are words of accusation, right? Yes, some of them may be true, but most of them are false accusations, if not 99% of them. And you know what a false accusation is? A false accusation is when the devil comes and tells you something about somebody that cannot be substantiated, but you are now somehow convinced of it. And it's amazing to me how people can just hate somebody else and reject them even if they don't know them, even if they've never met that person. But the accusations, the lies, the deceitfulness of the enemy has caused many wars, divorce, church splits, and even murder. But have you ever thought who's behind that information? That when you sit in that church and you're just convinced, you know what, I best bet this person is backsliding. Or you know what, they're going to lose their salvation. They're a, a casual Christian. Or you know what, because the way that person talks and the, and the way that they look, I'm sure that person is a racist. Who told you that? Just like God said to Adam and Eve when they sinned, who told you that you were naked? They didn't know until the devil came whispering all these accusations, just lying to them. And sad to say, church, but accusations also happen in the church. Where the accuser of our brethren has turned many believers into abusers of the brethren. That's how we get to be abusers of one another. Hating each other, talking about each other because of the accuser. If you start listening to him, you become an abuser. You can become an abuser even in your own household. So he's persistent, he's accusatory, but notice the third thing. He is conquerable. He is conquerable. And we can look now in our text for examples of how to overcome this and how to live as overcomers today. And church, we're going to learn this from future believers that the Lord has allowed us to see through the vision of John, which is recorded in the book of Revelation. And there are three examples here that I want us to have a look at. If you take your notes this morning, example number one, they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. Let's look at verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Number one, church, they believed in the power of the blood. Now remember, this is for believers. The blood is required in order for believers to overcome. And as believers, church, we must believe in the power of the blood for our cleansing and for our community or communion as believers in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, right, we have fellowship with one another. That's our community. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And church, what that means is that if the blood has been applied to my life as a believer, 
and it is being applied to your life as a believer, then who am I to judge you? Who am I to ridicule you or to hate you? Jesus paid for you. You are precious in his sight. And for me to demean you and to belittle you or to hate you is an offense to the blood. You know, we judge people so easily. We give up on people so easily and we write them off. But Jesus said, I paid for that person. My blood is upon them. Don't you dare talk about what I purchased. And you see, church, it's the blood that binds us together. It makes us one. And when Jesus prayed to the Father in John chapter 17, he said, Father, that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us, Father, so that the world will believe that you sent me. Let me ask you a quick question, church. How's the world ever going to believe if we are not united? As the church, right? If they, the world comes and looks at the church and the church is not united, how are they ever going to believe in Jesus? And church, our unity has to be not around our style, not on our preference of worship, not on how we dress or the label in front of our church. Our unity has to be around the blood, right? It's called the centrality of Christ. If you call the Christian, you call yourself a Christian, and you're not here because of Jesus and only Jesus, you shouldn't be here. Remember, I'm talking to born-again believers here this morning. If you're here for the first time today, please don't leave. Church, if Christ is not the centrality of our fellowship, the blood of Jesus, then the devil will divide us through accusations. What binds us together? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so church, therefore, when the enemy comes and brings an accusation in your mind about another person, you confront that accusation with a declaration of blessing and favor on the accused. That's how you defeat the accusation. So let's say, for instance, that the devil is talking to you and he's lying to you, and you're now starting to draw an unsubstantiated conclusion about another person, even if it's not true, even if there's no proof, you say, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. And I pray right now, blessing and favor on the accused, on this brother or sister. I pray that you would guide their steps in the paths of righteousness and that you would continue to sanctify them just as you are sanctifying me. You pray God's will upon their lives. You meet the accusation with a declaration of blessing. And church, this even goes for your enemies. You say, what? Pastor, you want me to pray for my enemies? I can maybe pray for another believer, but if it's a non-believer, can't I just punch them in the face at least once? Maybe? No. Jesus said, love your enemies, right? If you love those who love you, so what? Right? Love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Meet the accusation, church, with a blessing. Pray for those who spitefully use you and who have hurt you. When you think of people that have hurt you in your life, rather than sitting there and stewing over it and allowing it to prejudice your heart, begin to speak blessing over their life, right? And ask the Lord to bring them into the knowledge of Him so that they too can be saved and walk on this journey of sanctification.
And I know that's hard, isn't it? Because if it's, if it's me and the flesh, I don't want to see them in heaven. <laughs> flesh, let's be honest. You know, I've got a way to, to help them get there, but I'm going to tell them about it. If they come to me and say, like, how do I get there? I'm going to say, like, I don't know. Because I don't want to see you there. That's the flesh. But the Spirit says, pray for those who have used you and abused you. Why? Because when you bless, then you can rest in God's sovereignty. And you're not running around all anxious and all hateful with your spirit twisted by the accuser of the brethren. Amen? So example number one, they overcame the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. And example number two, they overcame the enemy by the word of their testimony. They continued to tell their story. Psalm 107 verse 2, it says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Let the redeemed say so. In other words, let the redeemed open their mouths and tell their story. Just by show of hands this morning, is there anyone here that's redeemed by the Lord? You need to share your testimony. You have got a story to tell. Because you see, when you share your testimony, it glorifies the Lord. Let the redeemed say so. These believers didn't keep their mouths shut. They proclaimed what Jesus had done for them. And church, we need to do the same thing today. And make sure, church, that it is a testimonial and not a braggermonial. Because we've all heard testimonies how people elevate themselves and speak about themselves, right? And then somewhere in there, they, they mention the name of Jesus. A braggermonial elevates us. A testimonial elevates the only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. But with a right heart, tell your story. Dare to share your story. Because someone is literally dying to hear it. There's a true story about how a family came to a new church one day. And the only reason they came to this specific church was because they were visiting family in the different parts of the country. The mother and father of the family were born again believers, but the son had drifted away. He was a bit rebellious and wayward and didn't want to know much about church anymore. Anyway, that, that weekend they managed to, to convince the son to attend this church service with their family, and he kind of felt a bit but obligated to go because, you know, they were on holiday. But the night before, they looked at the time where they were going to have to fly out, and they realized they would have to leave halfway through the service. So they said, listen, should we go? Shouldn't we go to the service? And they felt led of the Lord, and they said, let's go anyway. Let's see what the Lord's going to do. And that very morning, somewhere during the beginning of the service, another young man who was part of the worship team got up and gave his testimony of how he had been delivered from cocaine. And how he had come to Christ so gloriously and was saved. It wasn't planned. But he shared his story. And dozens of people came to the Lord that day. The pastor of the church received the call a couple of weeks later. And the very same father of that rebellious young man, he said, Pastor, I've got to tell you what happened. We were just about to get up so that we could go and catch our flight when my son heard that testimony. And when you gave the call to come to the front... He shot up and he went to the front. When my son came back, he was a different man. He was a different man. And you know what? It wasn't planned. 
It was the Holy Spirit. That young man who shared his testimony that day, he hadn't planned it. He was just obedient, right? And the Lord used it. But that young man that day, he really needed to hear it, right? And it was the very catalyst that, that turned his life around. You never know who's listening in when you share your testimony. They overcame the enemy because they kept glorifying God through their testimony. Lastly, church, they overcame the enemy because they loved Jesus more than they loved their own lives. Let's look at verse 11 again. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Now, you know what's interesting for me when I read this passage is that when we speak about being overcomers, we always mention, you know what, we're overcome by the power of the blood and the word of our testimony. But we leave this last part out because it's not as, as glamorous, isn't it? They did not love their lives to the death. You see, they love Jesus more than they love their own lives. And what a challenge for us, right? Because if we had to ask ourselves the question, do I love Jesus more than my own life, what would the answer be? They did and they overcame. You see, church, we are living in a very narcissistic generation. Narcissism and the worship of self is the norm of today. The word narcissism means to have an excessive interest in or admiration of oneself and one's physical appearance. You know, these days, everyone's just walking around taking photos of themselves. And I get the selfie thing. We all do the selfie thing, right? But why do you take a picture of your breakfast and send it all over social media? <laughs> hey, guys, click, click. I'm having a breakfast at Mike and Bean. To be honest with you, I don't care what you had for breakfast. Well, you know what? Hey, guys, I'm shopping at Cotton On. Click, click. Just go to Cotton On and go home. My life is not going to change if I don't know that you've been there. <laughs> and look, I, I'm kidding around, obviously, church, but we are living in a narcissistic generation. I read an article about this young man in India, 27-year-old man, who's suing his parents because they have conceived him without his consent. <laughs> I'm not making this up. True story. He's suing his parents because they conceived him without his consent. And so therefore he concludes and believes that they are obliged to pay all of his expenses for the rest of his life. Because he didn't ask to be born. I read that and I thought to myself, what would my dad say if I came home and said that to him? I'm just saying, you know. I live in that type of generation where my dad probably would have said, hey son, I love you. But if you talk rubbish like that, I'm going to hit you into next week. Right? Well, son, I'm going to send you to your maker. It would be the last thing I've ever heard. And with the size of my dad's hands, my whole body would be in a state of shock, you know. <laughs> the story of this young Indian man sounds ridiculous, right? But church, the faith of many believers often reflects the mentality of the world, which is this life owes me something. Or even worse, God owes me something. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life 
for my sake, will find it. And here's the point. If we love our lives more than we love Jesus, we will succumb to the darkness of our day rather than overcome it. We will be succumbers instead of overcomers. And that's why Jesus reminded us in John chapter 16, where he said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We can only be overcomers because Jesus is overcome. Amen? In closing this morning, if the worship team could please come up. We have looked today, church, at these future saints that are teaching us something. They haven't even been born yet, probably, right? Or maybe they are, but they're not on the scene yet. But we know that it's near. We don't know the exact time when Jesus is going to return, but we know that it's getting closer. And these future saints are an example to us today to live as victims rather than, as victors rather than victims. To live as those who overcome rather than those who succumb to the darkness of this world despite the tribulation around them. Right? They lived as overcomers through faith in Jesus Christ and they overcame the persistency and the accusatory nature of the devil by the power of the blood. The word of their testimony, they kept on telling their story and they did not love their lives more than they loved Jesus. Pretty simple, right? You see, church, the devil doesn't want you to know that right now, no matter how you feel, no matter what you've gone through, no matter how weak you might be, he doesn't want you to know that right now you are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. You are an overcomer. He wants to make it very complicated for us as believers. But if we would just remember today, three, three uh, simple things, right? That number one, the blood has not lost its power. That number two, we have a story to tell and the word of our testimony is a declaration of God's faithfulness and God's power. And number three, church, that as we love Jesus more than we love the things of this world, we will not be held captive by it. You see, nothing and no one can separate us from that truth. Nothing and no one can separate us from God's abiding love. Not even Satan. And church, it's in that truth and in that love that we can overcome. And I want to close with the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8. And he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Someone needs to say amen there. Amen. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Can you give the Lord a great shout of praise for that truth this morning?
Church, we need to realize that we are overcomers. We just need to align ourselves with God's truth. We can overcome you by the power of the blood, the word of our testimony. And if we don't love our lives as much as we love Jesus, we need to love God and love people more than we love our own lives. And we will overcome the enemy. Church, can we stand as we, we pray together and then we'll enter into another time of worship. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we just want to thank you that you've given us principles to read and to apply and to understand today. These things become so important as we get further understanding into the character of the one who hates us so and wants to make our walk depleted and wants to make us discouraged because he is so persistent and accusatory. But Lord, I pray that we would overcome. That we would overcome like these future tribulation saints will. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. And rather than focusing on our own lives, our life would be hidden with Christ in God. That we would seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, loving you even more than life itself. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's just give God all the glory for His word this morning, church.